All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm gonna leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Elgin. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip. Have we had this person before? I mean, this name before? We have not had this name before. This is a new name for us. Mm. Eldgith. Uh, it means old war. Oh, literally. no elves in sight then? Um, no, no elves. elves in this case. Um, often seen as a sort of old English version of Edith. Mm. Though there are kind of three different Saxon names that are often translated to Edith. Is one of them Edith? One of them is basically Edith. <laughs> <laughs> There, and they do mean slightly different things. Um, we've actually got, after this episode, we've got three more Saxon consorts. Yes. And two of them are called Edith. Right. So that's why I decided not to translate this one, because I thought yes. it might be helpful to keep, thank keep you, them thank a bit you. different. So we are back with the Saxons this week. Last week we had uh, a little bit of a sidestep from our usual fare with mm. the Vikings and yeah. Sigrith the Haughty. Mm-hmm. We were joined by John and Andy from Saga Thing. Mm-hmm. But now we are back with the Saxons. Uh, before we get going, just to say, of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on social media at Rex Factor Pod on Twitter and Instagram and like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page, email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. And if you want to hear more of us, you can mm. join the Privy Chamber, donate monthly and get bonus content. Yeah, all the stuff that maybe we cut or and we do specific episodes afterwards, don't we? Exactly, with even more stuff. Also remember to send in your hashtag consort cards with uh, your own version of a heritage playing card for an image for the episode. Have we had any yet? Uh, yeah, we have lots for our initial run. Yeah. Um, we're recording this before we've actually released the Sigrith one, but I think she's one that could inspire some pretty good yeah, yeah. image. I'm expecting a few halls on fire. W- yes. H- yeah, halls. Oh, yes. That is, halls. That is in fact, an, uh, well, a British advert, isn't it? Halls. <laughs> oh, no, that's tunes. Dudes. Yeah. Dudes. Oh, close. <laughs> Biography. So, Eldgith is probably born roughly in the year 992, mm-hmm. as ever we're, we're making guesswork here. She is the daughter of some chap mm. and a woman called Elfrith. Right. And she's a consort of Edmund Ironside. Mm. Now, we don't know the name of her father, but actually we do know quite a bit about her family because they're a very... Uh, powerful and prominent family in the Midlands. All right. In Mercia. Indeed, her grandmother was a very wealthy and powerful matriarch mm. in the Midlands, a woman called Wolfram. Mm. Uh, in 985, uh, her grandmother Wolfram was granted land at a place called Hianton, which means a high or principal farm or enclosure. Um, this is by Ethelred the Unready. Uh, and in 994, she gave this land to the church, and then the growing town uh, that comes around the church comes to be named after her. So it's uh, the Hianton of Wolfren, or Wolfren Hianton, Wolverhampton. <laughs> okay, I like that as a Rex fact, but um, is that someone... Are we sure? Yeah. Okay. Definite right. person. She's in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. She leaves. She, we've got her actual charter granting this land. Um, and her family, uh, well, her descendants are also very powerful. Her eldest son is a chap called Wolfric Spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and an indication of how powerful... Uh, the mother is, or the grandmother, is that he's known as Wolfric, son of Wolfram. Oh, interesting, rather than the father. Exactly, mm. so she's obviously considered more important, more powerful than dad. As such, usually we've got a name of a father, but we don't know anything else. Mm. In this case, we know everybody apart from dad. Yeah, that is odd, isn't it? Mm. 
Is it odd? It is odd. It is odd. Yeah. It is odd. But what? she must have married someone powerful herself. Well, or she was perhaps the daughter of someone powerful and inherited a lot of land. So right, she was yeah. a, an important person. Mm. And maybe the other guy married up. Yeah. Okay. I accept. Uh, her second son is a chap called Elfhelm, who becomes the Earldom of York. Mm. Oh, wow. Indeed, uh, from about 994. And her daughter, Elfrith, who is the mother of Elfgith. Okay. And we know Elfrith's name, the mother's name, because of the endowment that Wolfen makes to the church mm. that becomes Wolverhampton. Because she states in it, My sole daughter, Elfrith, has migrated from the world to the life-giving heirs. What does that mean? Dead. Oh. So as Wolfren uh, donates the land in 994, um, this suggests that her daughter must have died in the early 990s. So if oh. Eldgith was born 992, is she either when Eldgith is a baby or perhaps even in labour? Yeah, in so labour, yeah. Dies. Oh dear. Very sad. But this is going to be something of a theme for the next few episodes with the Saxon consorts. Powerful Mercian women mm. and marriage alliances based around Mm. these families and these women. We'll see this coming up quite a bit on the next few episodes. In terms of Elgith and her marriages, she doesn't initially marry the king, but instead a chap called Sigafoth. Mm. He is uh, the son of a chap called Erngrim, and along with his brother... Chuck <laughs> what? Erngrim. Oh, my word. His <laughs> parents hated him. So along with his brother Morka, Sigafoth uh, becomes one of the chief thanes of what's known as the Seven Burrs. So we had the five burrs, which are sort of major settlements in the Midlands, like Nottingham, Derby. Isn't that a Beastie Boys album? I think you do say this every time. Is it? <laughs> hang on, hang on. I've got to check that, because if I say it every time, I've got to get it right. Yeah. Okay. This uh, is your first ever verified alley. <laughs> <laughs> alley fact. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Oh, the five burrs. Oh, Okay. Well, that works because they were originally the five boroughs. So we've got Not places like Nottingham, uh, Lincoln, Derby, places like that. Oh, it'd be great if that was what they're rapping about, wasn't it? The <laughs> Saxon <laughs> five boroughs of Nottingham and Derby. But then we've added another couple with Torxey and York. Torxey, quite a minor one that seems to have been. No, Torxey is one of the two. York is the other. Torxey. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, people of Torxbury. <laughs> Talksy. Talksy. <laughs> <laughs> so they are sort of the chief thanes, the chief kind of chaps in this area. Mm. So obviously themselves are very powerful mm. Midlands family. So a marriage between Eldgith of, you know, Wolfren, Wolverhampton fame, mm, yeah. and then this chap Sigurdith, chief chap in the north. Big. Big powerful alliance. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail with this, but weirdly, similarly to the Sigrith episode, we do have a little bit of a identity genealogy oh, God. query. Right. We've got a name, Eldgith, mm. and we've got a consort for Edmund Ironside, but it's that same issue around whether we've got the right person with the right name in the right role. Okay. The thing is that Edmund Ironside is said to have married the wife of Sigurdith. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle doesn't say what Sigurdith's wife was called. And the two charters Edmund Ironside leaves behind which mention his wife also don't actually mention her by name. Oh, okay. So actually it's a blank. It's a blank. And we're relying not on a contemporary source, but John of Worcester in the 12th century. Oh, man. So a little bit like with the sagas, right? Yeah. A few hundred years later, they're providing extra details that's so not quite... Right instantly verifiable. Now, some historians, such as Anne Williams, believe that his brother, Morka, was married to a woman called Elgith, who was the granddaughter of Wolfram. Why? I think maybe there's a bit more... Le I think because, actually, he is in the will of Wolfric Spot, which is the uncle of oh, yeah. this Elgith. Mm. So she's assumed, therefore, that Morka is probably married to this Elgith. Mm. And Sigurdith is either married to someone completely different... Mm. Or perhaps someone who also happens to be called Eldgith, which, as we'll see, is actually quite yeah, a common name at the time. Yeah. And maybe John of Worcester saw the name and just thought, oh, well, I'll take that because I need a name because it's Edmund Ironside's wife. And he maybe just got a little bit mixed up. Okay. The impact of that is that if it's the other one, then we know absolutely nothing about her family background or potentially even her name. <laughs> yeah. That seems less likely, though, because she is the consort. 
Yes, but as I say, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle doesn't refer to by name, yeah. Edmund Ironside doesn't. We only have mm. later sources. But, to be fair, um, another historian, a more recent one, Levi Roach, uh, agrees with John of Worcester. He thinks that Eldgeth is probably, as in Sigurdfurth's uh, widow, is probably Eldgeth, granddaughter of Wolfram. Mm. And it is as John of Worcester says. Right. So there's a bit of a debate. For the purposes of this episode, it's more interesting if she's the granddaughter yeah. of Wolfram than someone whose name we don't even know. Yeah, that's that's the tricky thing about this period of history to me because unless there's a, a a big great big book of Saxon consorts written in the year 1066 mm. that someone finds, rather than 1266. <laughs> yeah, we will never know. No, yeah, and sort of received wisdom is I imagine that it's this way round. Yeah. So, what is true? I mean, I guess that. I mean, in a in a sort of a philosophical sense, what is true? <laughs> what that, is truth? That this this is the truth, isn't it? This is what everyone now understands to have happened. And it's weird with some of these episodes. Obviously, some of them we've got much more information and evidence. But it's weird some of these episodes, like this one, you're thinking we're constructing this whole thing around them. We're doing how much yeah. time we're reviewing them, and we may be talking about someone who, like we said, with secrets, it's not that. This that there was a consort yeah. of Edmund Ironside, so it's not mm. that they don't exist at all. But the person that we're describing isn't them. Is not the person that actually married Edmund Ironside. And what we're doing is compounding the problem by talking about it again, and everyone talks about it more and more until it just becomes fact. Because this is the official history yeah. now. Obviously, we yeah. are in effect writing the yeah. <laughs> Written by the winners, book me and of consorts. Yeah. Do you know it'd be seriously Why useful, G-Man? If you could have a great big sheet of paper behind you mm. with family tree drawn on it. And you can just get a big ruler yeah. and point to the people, and then we can draw little dot uh, dot dot lines. Well, I was thinking of little aid memoirs, mm. so like a, a um, I don't know, like a penguin for you know <laughs> the penguin. Anyway, we're going with Eldgith, granddaughter of Wolfram, founder of Wolverhampton fame. Yeah, she's married to Sigurdfurth, very powerful alliance of these Midlands families. Yeah, but it's not an easy time. To be an Anglo-Saxon in the Midlands, and this family or these families struggle rather in the difficulties of the latter half of Ethelred the Unready's reign. Right. Now his parents had overseen a bit of a golden age for the Anglo-Saxons, mm. but now we are seeing the golden age being undermined by Viking raids. Devalued. The gold's coming out, being Indeed. replaced with tin. Small raids started in 980, but it's really notable from 991 after we have the Battle of Malden. Oh, yes. Lovely battle. The first payment of the Dane girls comes from this battle. In 1002, Ethelred ordered a massacre of uh, all the Danes on St. Bryce's Day, which provokes a raid or invasion in 1004-1005 by Sven Forkbeard, mm -hmm. who we recall from last time, mm -hmm. King of Denmark. In 1005 to 1006, there seemed to be something of a palace revolution mm. at uh, Ethelred's court. Many of the leading figures are removed and new figures rise to prominence. The most notable is the notorious, treacherous Edric Striona. Oh, why do I know that name? We recovered him when we did uh, Ethelred the Unready. Okay. Very naughty chap. Very humble origins, but he becomes the Earldman of Mercia in 1007, and he actually marries one of the daughters of Ethelred. Right. Okay, he's right in there. Yeah. And in 1006, he murdered Eldgith's uncle, Elfhelm. So, Eldman of York. Oh, yeah, that one. Okay, the powerful West Midlands chap. Indeed. But this is not a happy court under Ethelred no. the Unready, and particularly with this uh, favourite. Perhaps the first sort of favourite we really have. Oh, yeah, maybe. In royal history, Edric Striona. So that's Eldgith's uncle and two of her cousins murdered. Is this creating factions? Creating factions, creating divisions, and of course it's giving us a bit of a north-south divide. They're not oh. going to be very happy up north with all of this going on. We're, as in the Midlands? Midlands and, yeah. And north, north, okay. York. I've got, I've, I've got Birmingham mm. friends who don't like being called the north. It's that funny thing where I guess in this sort of... Mercia and Northumbria, as was, oh. ef effectively act together from this mm. point onwards. Instead of... Uh, what would it be? Uh, Mercia, Mercia, Wessex, Wessex. Northumbria. It's now effectively Wessex and mm. Mercia, Northumbria. Okay. 1008, to try and deal with the Vikings, there was a nationwide programme of building a new fleet of warships, but an internal division saw one commander turn to piracy and many others lost in storms when trying to chase oh dear. after him. Oh dear. Mm. 1009 to 12, Thorkel the Tall, 
Viking, obviously, mm, yeah. harried England, and Edric apparently dissuaded Ethelred from meeting him with force. This Edric character, same for one. Mm. I don't like him. And then in 1013, Sven Forkbeard launches a full-scale invasion. Ethelred is forced to go into exile, and Sven is declared king on Christmas Day. Is this fella in league with Sven? Edric. Mm. He's not. Um, what he's up to at all of this point is a bit debatable. Later on, we'll see, he gets a, a bit treacherous. At this point, he goes into exile, I think, with Ethelred. Because if he were... <coughs> He's doing a cracking job. <laughs> He'll be doing a cracking job. Somebody who potentially is in league with Sven, however, mm. he initially, really, his strength is in the north and the Midlands. Mm. And he pretty much sets up his capital at Gainsborough. Mm. And he received a very early submission from Northumbria and the Five Boroughs. Mm. Which is, of course, where Elvgith's husband Sigurfuth and his brother Morka are predominant. Right, yeah. So having seen their kinsmen, Elfhelm and his sons, yeah. killed... They probably, at, ed- at odds with Ethelred, lead an early submission to Sven. Right, yeah. Bet they do. And they also arrange uh, the marriage between Sven's son, Canute, and Elvgith's cousin, Elfgifu of Northampton. El- wh- whose cousin? Uh, Elfgith's cousin. This this woman? This woman. So Elfgifu of Northampton is the daughter of the Eldman that was murdered. Right. And of the two brothers. Mm. So she marries Canute as a way of sort of helping Sven get local ties embedded okay. within it. We're not doing Canute's wife now, are we? We're doing Ironside's wife. We're doing Ironside's okay. wife. But this is what I'm saying about all of these mercy marriages back. and families mm. that keeps on coming back indeed. Um, but the important thing here in terms of Elgith's possession is that her first cousin has married the son of the man that's just conquered the kingdom. One more time. Her first cousin, yes. so like my cousin is, yes, married Canute, Canute who's the invader. Well, yeah, well, the son of the invader. The son of the invader. And she's married to the established king. And and the person I'm being in this instance is married to the established king. Elfgith is not, at this point, married to Edmund Ironside. She's married to oh. Sigurfuss. Oh, okay, so this is all happening before she's married to Ironside. Exactly. Right. Mm. Okay. Okay. Don't know why that has a bearing, but it sounds like it has a bearing. Well, Sven dies just five weeks later, the 3rd oh. of February, 1014, uh, and Ethelred is restored as king, having been made to pledge reforms, pledge his loyalty to his nobles, and ask for forgiveness for past ill, or to agree forgiveness for past ills. Uh, which is that revolution in court. Revolution at court, also, I guess, anything that's gone on mm. against him in that time. It's effectively everybody saying, bygones be bygones, you're going to be better now, and we're all going to get on. And they're not going to be any vindictiveness. Okay. Um, why? Quick question. Why didn't any of Sven's lot, you know, take power? Or well, Canute was recognised in uh, uh, Canute's lot. Sorry, in the north and in the, in Mercia, but down south, once Sven dies, they're like, oh well, we can be get rid of the Vikings now because the conqueror is dead. And the Vikings were just... Well, Canute gets kicked out ultimately and he has to go back to Denmark to get reinforcements. So, Ethelred is invited back on the proviso that he's going to rule better and let bygones be bygones. Mm. Everyone's going to get on again this time. But it seems that Ethelred does not intend to let bygones be bygones. Right. In 1015, we have a meeting at Oxford and this is what the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle... I can smell smoke. (laughs) Well... This year was the great council at Oxford, where Alderman Edric betrayed Sigurfuth and Morka, the eldest thanes belonging to the seven towns. He allured them into his bower, where they were shamefully slain. He's done it again. He's done it again. And but this, it wasn't the king, it was that toe rag again. It's that toe rag, but whether or not that toe rag was acting completely independently or... Mm. Ethelred was in on it at well it's at court, it's at this royal council where everybody's yeah. meeting but so Eldgith's husband Sigurfuth has been murdered yeah along with his brother yeah oh well, hang on yeah so she is now a widow in terms of why this happens one assumes that Ethelred doesn't trust them because they submitted to Sven and mm. arranged the marriage to yeah. Sven's son um also, they are these very powerful northern magnates, so Ethelred and indeed Edric may have wanted their lands and to install new men that they felt they could trust in their place. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Still, mm. it's a bad record he's got. Indeed. And it's going to get worse for Eldgith. 
Then the king took all their possessions, and ordered the widow of Sigurfath to be secured and brought within Malmesbury. Mm. So he's taken all of the land, all of the treasures, and he's locked her up in Malmesbury. Why her? Well, I guess she, they don't, there's no children with her in Sigurfath, and she's this little powerful figure. So I guess she's probably an heiress and someone mm. quite powerful. So if he's trying to secure this position with his own men, mm. get rid of the disloyal people, you don't want this heiress floating around. Do you know what I'd do if I had those morals of the time? Mm. Forced marriage to one of his mates. One of his mates, but what we really need for Elgeth at this point is a hero. Baby, yeah. Q. Edmund Ironside. Oh, fantastic. I didn't see this coming. Now, it's notable that when Ethelred goes into exile in 1013, his eldest sons don't go into exile. They stay in England. With Sven and his pals? Well, not necessarily with Sven, but whilst Sven is doing his business, they are still in England. And they're not arrested? Not arrested. This is the thing we said, that Sven's conquest is not that complete, that he's mm. gone from town to town. He's just been acknowledged king. Mm. So what are they actually up to? The historian Pauline Stafford suggests that the sons, eldest being Athelstan... And that one. Not that one. No. Next with him, Edmund. Um, perhaps they decided that Ethelred's abandoned the country. His reign is over. And in that case, they are the ones that should now be ruling. Right. So they may have effectively decided Dad's reign is over and we're going to try and get control of this and ultimately take on Sven Forkbid. Yeah, I agree. But this suggests something of uh, a division within the royal family. They yeah. effectively cut themselves off from Ethelred. Now, Athelstan, the oldest son, dies in 1014 after Ethelred had come back and after Canute had been expelled. Now, his will notably includes uh, bequests to Sigurfuth, mm. mentions items that are in the possession of Morka. Mm. So these are the two brothers that will be murdered one year later by Ethelred who are in the will of his eldest son, which suggests that Athelstan is in league, perhaps, with Sigurd of the Oh, yeah, right. So perhaps after Athelstan dies, they're a bit isolated without his support, and that's where yeah. Ethelred and Edric feel that they can I make see. a move on them. Yeah, and it's not like... Because we see rival courts in the Hanoverians, don't yeah. we? Uh, but I suppose if there's no prince, they're with leaderless and actually just rebels. Hmm. Mm, okay. However, there is another prince... Born in about 990, the next eldest son of Ethelred is Edmund Ironside. Now, he and his older brother Athelstan do seem to be in close, as Edmund is the main beneficiary of the will. Mm. Uh, most notably, he is given the Sword of Offer of Mercia, oh, yeah. which may have been originally a gift from Charlemagne, so this is quite, a, quite an heirloom. But the fact that he is in the will, as are Sigurdfuth and Morka mm. and Athelstan, suggests that probably these guys are all... They okay. with each other, mm. all allies. So, Edmund may well have known Eldgith, because she's married to Sycophus and mm -hmm. because they all know each other. Mm -hmm. But once we have this situation where Sycophus is murdered, Morker is murdered, Athelstan's dead, yep. Edmund's the only one left, Eldgith is in prison, what's he going to do? Ah, okay. After a little interval, Edmund Etherling went and seized her against the king's will, and had her to wife. It's just a appalling choice of words <laughs> when you look at it through a certain lens. Do we want it said a little more floridly Please. by William of Malmesbury? Mm. Again, we, we go to the couple of hundred years later saga writers yeah. to make it sound a bit more romantic. The wife of Sigurfuth, a woman remarkable for her rank and beauty, was carried prisoner to Malmesbury, on which account Edmund, the king's son, dissembling his intention, took a journey into those parts. Seeing her, he became enamoured, and becoming enamoured, he made her his wife, cautiously keeping their union secret from his father, who was as much an object of contempt to his family as to strangers. So everyone hates the king. Everyone hates the king. Yeah. So Edmund rides into town, breaks her out of prison, rescues her, and they go off and be married. And his dad must be furious, not even knowing that they're married, but that he ma uh, made her escape. Yeah, I mean, I suspect the whole secret union bit probably wasn't that secret if he's breaking her out of yeah. <laughs> royal uh, royal imprisonment. Now, as I said, because Sigurdfuss doesn't have any children, Edgith, uh, Eldgith, as the widow, basically has a claim to a lot of his lands and certainly to a lot of his support in Mercia. 
and in mm. the north. So by marrying her, Edmund is effectively really an open rebellion against his father, partly, yeah. of course, because he's taken her out of prison, but also because he is claiming all of her lands and the support of those people. Yeah, 100%. So this is why we look at that 10, 13, 14 situation where they're still in the country. Mm. seems like they're operating differently. Edmund has decided, Dad's done. I'm going to try and be king. Mm. So, an interesting situation. Yeah. It's made even more interesting by the fact that about the same time that Edmund is marrying Eldgith, Canute comes back Uh with a great big army. About 10,000 men and 200 longships. Goodness me. Serious stuff. Lands in Kent and then receives the submission of Wessex. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Ethelred is ill <laughs> in London. Edric Striona at this point defects to Canute. He's awful. Takes Mercian troops and about 40 ships. And at this point, with things really going south, Edmund comes back down south to London and returns to his father. Hang on, hang on, wait, wait. Edric, the bad one, so betrayed the, the father that he was busy mates with. Yeah. Even though the son didn't like him much either, but he managed to take ships and troops as well. Because mm. wow. he's the earldom of Mercia, so he's ba- you know he's basically oh, the ruler of, of yeah. Mercia. But the presence of Canute invading again is enough apparently to bring Edmund and Ethelred back together. Mm. So Edmund goes back to try and coordinate the response with his father. Cool. That'd be a good film, wouldn't it? That reconciliation scene. Mm. Edmund raises an army, but they're forced to disband because they refuse to fight when Ethelred doesn't appear. So they want the king present, but he isn't there. Okay, so that puts to bed a bit of that discussion before, that he is still recognised as the king. Still the king, it's still important. Edmund goes north and raises an army with Uhtred of Northumbria. Yeah. Or Bebenbur, perhaps. Uhtred Uhtredson. Mm-hmm. And uh, raids Edric's Mercian lands. Mm. Serves him right. Uh, but Canute afterwards takes the north, Uhtred is killed, and Edmund goes back down south to London again. Oh, okay, so they're going up to fi- a course because they're mm. easy. Going yeah, up, yeah. coming back down again. Ethelred dies on the 23rd of April, 1016. That's yeah. where we are now. Edmund is with him in London, and Edmund is then elected king. Yeah. So Eldgith is now consort... Okay, we're at her consort ship. Yes. And now he can start raising an army without having to get his idiotic father involved. Exactly. Canute besieges the city, but Edmund is able to break out, gathers an army in Wessex, and then relieves the siege. Right. And then Edmund then has to keep popping out, popping all over Wessex, raising armies, fighting lots of engagements throughout the summer against Canute. Mm. But it all comes to an end at the Battle of Assendon in October, a major defeat for Edmund and the Saxons. Edric Striona had returned to Edmund Ironside and the Saxons. And they took him back? Took him back. Oh, my But then life. in the battle, he withdraws his men. Oh, it gets worse! A bit Richard III style, so Edmund is outnumbered and defeated. What's with that guy? I know. Another battle may have been fought near the Forest of Dean before Canute and Edmund agreed to share the kingdom. Oh, they could have done that a yeah. lot earlier. So each acknowledged the other as heir. So effectively, whichever one of them dies first, the other one gets the kingdom. Oh, that's just a race to murder each other. Then, well, indeed. It? And Edmund dies a few weeks later. Really? On the 30th of November, 1016, leaving Canute as king of all England. What did he die of? Um, possibly he'd already... Uh, got wounds from the battles and it may have been a nicety and respect for him that can you agree to share the kingdom perhaps knowing that Edmund. oh that's interesting alternatively there's a story that edric striona arranged for oh. a chap to go under the privy and stick a spear up edmund's bottom uh how big's this privy well well i mean it's probably a hole in the ground so he's probably un- in the hole what a gig mm. hang on mick come here <laughs> i've got a job for you yes <laughs> You went to what? <laughs> I don't mind the spear business, but I'm not getting in there. So, Edmund Ironside is dead, and therefore Eldgith's time as consort has come to an end. Right. That's brief. Well, indeed. Now, from the period of their marriage, when it all gets very dramatic, suddenly she can really disappears from the picture. And isn't consort, then. And then, Well, afterwards, isn't consort. Um, there are no details of her after her rescue from Malmesbury. As we've just established there, Edmund basically spends the entire period that they are married campaigning against the Vikings. Mm. So it's unlikely that they really got to see very much of each other. I'm predicting a low dynasty score then. 
Now, with Canute invading, and the fact that Edmund returned to London from a northern campaign and was present when his father died, there's maybe a decent chance that Eldgith would have come to London with him. Hmm. And maybe she would have stayed there during the siege hmm. while Edmund is going off doing the fighting. So perhaps Eldgith stays uh, in London. And an alternative possibility, of course, is that she may have died in childbirth. She does have children, so just a bit of a spoil for dynasty. So the records with everything else going on in 1016 with all these engagements with the Saxons and the Vikings probably didn't have time to note yeah. Edmund's wife dying, but it's impossible that she just died and that's why we don't hear from her again. Yeah, okay. She just died doing what she was there for. Or alternatively, uh, we do know that her children were sent off into exile by Canute. Children? Mm, spoiler. Oh, spoiler. So if she was still alive, she may have joined them and gone mm. off either to Hungary and or Poland. Oh, yeah. And lived out her life there. It's also possible if she doesn't accompany her sons, as we said, her cousin, Elfgafu of Northampton, married Canute. Yeah. So maybe she would have felt safe in the north. She could have gone to her cousin for protection there. Yeah. Or her family connections. Yeah. Where there is a bit more of a closeness to the Viking cause. Maybe she just went north and stayed there and... Lived out her life. Lives out her life there without troubling the analysts. But she was quite important. I mean, the um, the bad dad mm. had her locked up. Yeah. So she's quite important. And I think maybe if Canute could have seized on that as um, propaganda. I feel like he might have married her to somebody rather yeah. than just sticking her in a nunnery. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm. Anyway, whatever does happen to her, she ceased to be consort when Edmund died, and she does not trouble the records again. If you have just been listening to this, listen back, and now imagine that story if she were the other person. Yes, His without co- any of the early information. <laughs> yeah, tricky. It doesn't make for such a good read. No, essentially, without that, Edmund married the wife of Sigurfuth. Full stop. That's the end of Rex. <laughs> so, let's review her. <laughs> yeah. So you might not be expecting an awful lot, based on what you've had. However, I'll remind you that Edmund removed her from the monastery, and he claims her lands. Yeah. But according to the... uh, Well, so the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle says, Then went the Etheling west-north into the five towns, and soon plundered all the property of Sigurfuth and Morka, and all the people submitted to him. So this is implying that Edmund just takes her as a wife, goes off, does a bit of fighty-fighty, takes all the land. Yeah. William of Malmesbury, however, gives a bit of credit to Elgith. Okay, here we go. Soon after, at the instigation of his wife, he oh. asked of his father the possessions of Sigurfuth, which were of large extent among the Northumbrians, but could not obtain them. By his own exertions, however, he procured them at last, the inhabitants of that province willingly submitting to his power. So she was the one behind the scenes? Yeah, so she's saying, right, let's get the land back. Again, a little bit like we had with uh, Sigrith and and John and Andrew talking about how the women in the sagas will often goad the men yeah, to yeah, get yeah. the family land and yeah. do the honours. That's what she's doing here. She's goading Edmund, saying, right, let's get the land back. So Edmund's doing all the fighting, but she is actually thinking about things. And, yeah. Okay, this is more here than I thought it would be. Mm. So the way that the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle it suggests, it's almost like Edmund abducts her. Yeah, rather than takes her for his wife and suppresses the north. But William of Malmesbury suggests it's a bit more of a partnership. And given what we said earlier about Athelstan, Sigurdr, Morka, Edmund all being kind of in alliance, mm. ten, thirteen, and fourteen, there's a decent chance that Eldgith is privy to all of their discussions and all of that stuff going on. Certainly, because she's one of the powerful West Midlands mm. lot, and because she was originally married to Sigurdr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's not it's not unreasonable to assume that her and Edmund Ironside were well acquainted before they got married and before he gets her out of Malmesbury. Yeah. So it's not actually unreasonable to say Also, that, you know. It's unlikely that they weren't well acquainted if he was going to launch a rescue mission and stake so much <laughs> yeah. on it, like falling out with his father. <laughs> yeah. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, we've got no actual other evidence of anything whatsoever. No. Hmm. But, a bit of encouragement. So it's just one line from William and Malmesbury? Yes, it's, I mean, it's one line, it's even, it's really one, two, three, four, five, six words at the instigation of his wife. Oh, man. And but Will- that does change the character quite a bit of what uh, 
He's not he's not known for his accuracy though. He's not known for his accuracy, but as I said, that is consistent with it does seem logical that she and Edmund would already be acquainted and would probably get on, given that Edmund and Sigurdfuss and etc. were all kind of grouped together previously. So it's not unreasonable to think that they're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> what I'm saying is it's more than nothing. It is, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a lot more than nothing, but it is. Okay. Uh, I feel like if you'd have just spoken to me and said, ah, oh, but think about it, they're all part of this group and blah, 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 I'd have been more for it than the fact that old Marmaduke said it. Said it yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's maybe the... Um, um, two. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think a two is probably absolute, probably the maximum that you could really be thinking of uh, of giving her. So that's a four for Baffy. Four. Let's enjoy what we can do. Scandal. Now, William of Malmesbury doesn't give me anything to go on here, mm. but I've used a little bit of creative thought. Mm. Sim- on the similar lines, really, to why it makes sense that she and Edmund would be on the same page. Mm. Sven Forkbid invades and her brothers submit to him and arrange the marriage of Elfgrifu of Northampton mm-hmm. and Canute. Elfgrifu is her first cousin, so mm. she presumably knows her better than Sigurfuth does. Is Eldgith part of this sort of northern defection? Is she one of the instigators? Is she one of the ones arranging the marriage to the Vikings? But she's Ironsides. This is before she marries Edmund Ironside. This is when she's married to Sigurfuth. Why would she do that? Well, her uncle and uh, two male cousins were murdered by Ethelred the Unready. Right, okay. Yeah, so that seems likely, yeah. Mm. Okay, got you. So perhaps she's part of this sort of northern yeah. defection to the Vikings. Then was she, along with Athelstan, Edmund Ironside, Sigurd the Morkers, she part of some kind of royal rebellion in 1014? 1013-14. Mm. It's something of a lost history. We don't know what exactly they were doing and what they would have done had Sven Forkbeard not died. But yeah. they were still there. They were up to something. Maybe she's part of that. Mm. And, you know, when Edmund comes along, rescues her, and we have this sense of Edmund in open rebellion against his father, is she part of that? Mm. Part of a rebellion against Ethelred? I feel like she's definitely part of one of them. Mm. I think having that much clout mm. and being in the the thick of things. It seems like every time there's a fire, she smells smoky. <laughs> that's better. Yeah, that's definitely it. She's maybe not burnt her fingers. No, but she comes in. Yeah, she's near the, all the fires, brushing the soot off. Going what? Mm. On the other hand, um, is it that scandalous? I mean, it's all a bit chaotic, and Ethelred's a bit rubbish. I mean, it's not scandalous because I feel like they're on the right side. Yeah, <laughs> but. Being objective, I suppose it is. Against it the is king. a bit, yeah. Again, it's more than nothing. It is more than nothing. I, I couldn't go higher than a two again. I mean, I, yeah, maybe go just a one. Yeah, three for scandal. Three. Subjectivity. I can't think of anything for subjectivity. I couldn't even think of negatives. If the, pretty much her only, her only input to the whole thing so mm. far has been encouraging her husband to go and stir it up a bit up north. And if we're going to be uber creative, after all of the failures of Ethelred the Unready, Edmund Ironside was this great flash of action and activity. When he's king, he really pushes Canute and it's, you know, we almost see the Saxons mm-hmm. come out on top. And you could argue that the marriage, the instigation to take the lands, etc., perhaps she was helping him to get his position a yeah, but bit. but it's subjectivity, isn't it? And one thing that I often wonder in these things is why why does anyone fight at all? Like the the division between rich and poor is just astronomic mm. to the point that these people don't care one bit who's in power because it's going to be rubbish either way. Mm. And yet they're going around left, right, and centre every three years, killing off an entire generation. <sighs> it also seems that actually. In the end, Edmund Ironside doesn't really get an awful lot of gain from no. the Midlands so marriage. It's in Wessex that he ends up oh, raising sorry, all yeah. of his armies. Right. So, yeah. Didn't end up helping all that much. 
I can't remember. Zero. It's got to be a zero for subjectivity, unfortunately. Longevity. So she is... Uh, we don't know if she's actually crowned as queen, but we'll say she's queen consort from the 23rd of April, 1016, mm. to the 30th of November, 1016. God, that's rubbish, isn't it? Seven months, which is 0.58 years, mm. which when we put that into our calculator gives her a score of one out yeah. of 20. That's better than last week then, isn't it? It is. It's above that threshold of scoring anything at all. Yeah. That's that's her theme, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's better than nothing. Dynasty, not the broke. Well, surprising you here, she had two children. Well, hang on. Seven months. If I know one thing about biology. Well, seven months where he is king, mm. but she was married to him before that. Fine. Okay. So, so they probably Maths works. marry in 1015, mm. and he dies in 1016. So it's probably a bit over a year. Mm. Um, so two children gives her a score of 10 out of 20. 10 out of 20? Yeah, joint 26th. Gosh. Her two sons are sent off into exile. This is Edward the Exile and Edmund Etheling. Um, they're sent to the court of Olaf Scottkunung, which we recall from last time was Sigrid the Haughty's son by her first husband, Eric the Victorious, in Sweden. Hmm. Um, Canute sends them, potentially because he just wanted them to be murdered out of sight. <laughs> Um, but instead, they are sent to uh, Kiev or Poland, which again makes sense if that's where mm. the family relationship for Sigrid comes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Edward later goes to the Hungarian court. Now, this is actually quite a significant dynastic contribution from Eldgith because Edward the Exile comes back to England later on, and his daughter Margaret is Saint Margaret that marries Malcolm III oh, right. of Scotland. His daughter is Saint Margaret. And they have a daughter, Edith. Of no. course. Yeah. Changes the name to Matilda, who marries Henry the First. What? Which means, therefore, that her their child is the Empress Matilda, and her son, of course, is Henry the Second. So with Henry the Second, we have the Royal Saxon line coming back into the royal family, and it comes from Eldgith. It's all from Wolverhampton. It's all from Wolverhampton. That is fantastic. I, I I nearly lost you as, as we were going <laughs> way out in in Poland and Hungary and it came back, disappeared off to Scotland and bang, straight back with Henry II. Exactly. So the Empress Matilda and Henry II are descendants of Eldgith. Well, that's quality. I was going to say, what happened to them in Hungary then? But they came back. One of them dies, but the other one has quite a good career. Now, like with the uh, dynastic question at the start and whether or not she is the person we think he is, she is, some historians have also questioned this dynastic score. No, oh, don't. What you were saying, really, two children, and they're married for little more than a year. 18 months possible? It is possible that... Especially if she dies. Two separate children, especially if she dies. It's also possible that they could have been twins. Oh, hang on. that Yeah, that's a more... That makes sense. Now, there's no mention in the sources that they're twins, but equally, I don't think there's anything to indicate years anyway so it's not no, impossible I mean, they, at all they don't often give names so you know well yeah exactly now one bit of evidence perhaps for an earlier wife for edmund um uh, gaimar a 12th century anglo-norman poet claimed that edmund married a sister of a king in wales and Hang on, edmund ironside married a s the sister of a king in wales yeah offer Oh, no, uh, no, no, that's no, earlier. But yeah. um, this might explain why he ends up fighting in the Forest of Dean after losing Assenden, because he goes off to be near the Welsh border. Maybe he thinks he's got allies over there. Mm. Right. So perhaps he could have had one by the Welshy and one by... A Britishy. An Englishy. Englishy. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to assume that they're twins of Eldgith. We're going to go with the standard, standard history here. Exactly. Okay. So, ten for Dynasty... Uh, gives her a total score of 18. That's not too shabby, is it? Not too shabby. It's not the worst that we've had. There are two worse. <laughs> but it's not all about the score. Does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, the great achievement that we call... Rex Factor! You're going to have to try really hard here. Dramatic romantic marriage story. That'll make for a good, uh, yeah. good film or feature in a film. Yeah. We have hardly any actual evidence of her. Ooh. She might not have been from such a powerful Mercian family. Yeah. She might not actually have been the mother to Edmund's children. Very true. 
she's the wife of Sigurfuth that Edmund married and took the land. It's a no, G-Man, isn't it? I think it does have to be a no, sadly. It's mm. very much one of those where, for writing historical fiction, Bernard Cornwall could fill in some very entertaining <laughs> blanks. Yeah. But for us, we do have quite a lot of blanks. Yeah. So, that is it for Eldgith. She does not have the Rex Factor, but she sort of linked us to some interesting stories. Wolverhampton, the exiled yeah. sons, all that sort of thing. Family tree factor. Family tree factor, exactly. She's a link. Mm. Correspondence Corner. Let us know what you think about Eldgith. Get in touch on uh, Twitter and Instagram. We are at Rex Factor Pod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast page and on Facebook and get in the discussions there. Email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com and read the blogs and complete the polls on RexFactor.wordpress.com. And, of course, remember to send in your hashtag consort cards. Please do. Now, if you'd like to support the podcast, uh, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or whatever you use for your podcast, and subscribe. If you want to make a one-off donation, then you could join Barat Bakhtar, who has very kindly oh, done cheers, that. Oh, cheers, dude. Or you can donate monthly through crowdfunding for bonus content and join the Privy Council. We're doing the Privy Council in just a moment after this correspondence corner, aren't we? Uh, what are we going to be talking about in this one? We've got. Hang on, what are you reaching over there? You don't have a reach over I, there. I know, I'm reaching. Uh, we've got a bit more about Wolfren. Oh, you got. Is that your printer? That's my printer. A bit okay. more about Wolfren, a bit more about the treacherous Edric Striona. Uh, Some more stuff there to look forward to in the Privy Chamber. It's just a bit more relaxed, isn't it, the Chamber? Exactly. And depending on the level you donate at, you may also get access to special episodes, mugs, and t shirts. And we've got some privy councillors to welcome to the fold. Steve Gilbert, Freddy1606, Annabelle Foster, Jess Lowe, Ariane Dunn, Jeanette Sophie Spronfiedler. And we're sorry. Jeanette Sophie Spronfiedler, Holly Halford, Caroline, Empress of the Known Loot World, Duchess of <laughs> North America, etc. Egan, Maeve Gautier, Jordan Retz, A714293, <laughs> and Nicole Cook. Fantastic. Thank you, one and all. That is one of the highlights of doing this for me, <laughs> is listening to Chima reading out the names. Now we've got some messages from Privy Councillors. Lovely. R-H-M-V-L-K. Oh, yeah. R-H. Hey, guys. Hi. I decided to finally become a patron after listening to the first two series and the live shows. Legend! It's a great podcast, and my only regret is that living in the States, I won't be able to attend any live shows you may do in the future. Unless you... Opt for a more long-distance tour. I'd love it. Mm. Mm. Thanks for all the information and hilarity. Pete Bog Ferry. <laughs> Hang on, is that P-E-T-E? P-E-A-T. Oh, I thought he was doing a little fun pun uh, on his name. Yeah. I think there should be a board in the recording studio that says, instead of X days without an accident in this workplace, says X episodes without mention of Dunstan. Yeah, good idea. Would it ever get above five or so? Well, it was back to zero Crossed now. after today, yeah. yeah. Scott Jeffrey. I've really enjoyed the podcast and have thought about becoming a Privy Councillor for a while now, but have procrastinated. Until now! Thanks for all of your hard work. I look forward to listening to the special episodes. Thank you very much. M-Y-W-K-M-R. Mm-hmm. Figured if I had a little panic attack when I ran out of episodes to binge on, I should be paying for this service. <laughs> <laughs> Gemma. It's taken me a while, but after listening to the podcast for ages and turning up to bother you both at the Oxford Live show last year... Wonderful. I finally made it onto the Privy Council. Can't wait to catch up with all the extra episodes. Gem. Brackets. The one on Twitter with a horrible histories gift for every occasion. Oh, hang on. If... Oxford? Yes. Oh, that was when you were drunk. Did she... If I'm, <laughs> I, if I may have made a fool of myself. If, <laughs> if we ended up having a drink afterwards, I can only apologise. And G-Man put me to bed and we had... That was fun, wasn't it? We had a little two twin beds. Yeah, we did. Oh, I really enjoyed that. A drunk Privy Chamber episode that Jen yeah. can listen to. Find out how you Oh, yeah. Afterwards. Yeah, see what you did. <laughs> uh, I just want to say thanks for all the brilliant historical facts you found for X Factor. My friends and I love uh, all love the funny ones and whenever we learn a new one between ourselves, we talk about it in terms of whether it would be a Rex fact and if it deserves a ding on Ali Scandalbell. Lovely, we'll send them in. Mm-hmm. We've lost the scandal, haven't you? Well, you've lost the scandal. I have really have fully lost. I have, yeah, I, in fact, actually Weren't there was no need for, for it. Episode, yeah. Yeah. And Rennie Foots. Fouts. Oh, I, yeah, yes. Yeah, She sent some uh, lovely consult cards. Yeah. I've so enjoyed being a Privy Councillor. Should have joined the fold much sooner. The bonus episodes in the Privy Chamber are so worth it. Hear that, everybody? <laughs> 
Also, not sure where we are supposed to add our book suggestions. Is it an email? Anyway, figured I'd just leave my suggestion here. My whole book club enjoyed The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. I'd recommend it as a Harry Potter for adults. I think Ali might even in, uh, might enjoy even with his aversion to sci-fi. Now, uh, Louise Brimacombe mm. has sent us a series of consort limericks. Okay. Because we got the book from uh, Dr. Emma Southern with limericks oh, yeah. for the monarchs. So we've been yeah. reading these in the Privy Chamber. So Louise has done them for the consorts. Oh, jolly good. So we're going to read most of them out in the Privy Chamber, but I thought mm. I'd share the first one, Elswith, okay. in this episode. Who's what, Who's that? Elswith is Alfred's consort, the first. Well, I mean, it would become apparent from the <laughs> okay. limerick. But yeah, so the very first consort we did. Young Elswith's fortunes have led her down to Wessex where Alfred's to wed her. But their wedding night proves to be no delight as he'd rather get piles than bed her. That's very good. Yeah. Accomplished, I'd say. Indeed. So <laughs> more of those in the privy chamber. Alex emailed us a while ago about Eben Dyneside and I thought, oh, that's or maybe it was Facebook, but I thought I'd do it in yeah. this one. I must say that I think you were terribly unfair to poor Edmund Ironside. That dude definitely had the Rex Factor in spades. Great leadership does not always lead to winning, you know. And winning is not always the mark of a great leader. But since this episode was done in 2010, I'm hoping your definition of what contributes to a Rex Factor has perhaps broadened over the years. I think it definitely has. Um, and I was going to ask you actually whether we gave him the Rex Factor. We didn't, but we were tempted. Because yeah. he does fight this sort of heroic series of victories, but then ultimately ends up losing, which is why we didn't. We do have that problem, don't we? Same we do like, yeah. with Harold II in 1066. Do you like a winner of Rex? But generally, I'm quite okay with a loser. I think the problem is, for someone like Edmund and for Harold, their reigns are so short that if they're in, the entirety of their reign is basically looking really good, but then losing a battle at yeah. the end of the year... You know, if it was 20 years and then this, then you think, mm. well, yeah, give credit where it's due. But because that was the entirety of the reign, yeah. you've got to win the campaign that you start fighting. It's like looking at a graph and it looks really, really great. And then you zoom out and actually it was a tiny bit. If it had lived longer, yeah. it might just be that all the time. And he's still lost. Mm. James Hogarth on Twitter. I was disappointed when I tuned into the new episode of Rex Actor to find it wasn't a new episode. This was when we did our summer catch up. Oh, did we? Oh, yeah. You've forgotten it already. Yeah. But loved the rugby chat. Eddie Jones as Dunstan is inspired. Is that right? That's what you said. Did I? Yeah. Yes, he is just like Dunstan. <laughs> I agree with myself. Which king, queen, significant other would Steve Hansen be or Graham Henry? Oh, I mean, that is an absolutely phenomenal question. <laughs> I sent you a link today about uh, Eddie Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Steve Hansen, very dour. Uh, Mind you, so is Warren Cutlin. Um, the, the more actually, tell you what, I'll go with Steve Hansen mm. as uh, Henry V. Yeah. You know, a bit doesn't show any. It's Robot. Mark Five. Mark you know, yeah. just absolute Still, machine yeah. at doing what he does and does it well. Mm. Um, really struggling with old Gats. What would you say? Uh, he didn't actually say Warren Cutlin, didn't he? Graham Henry. Oh, Graham Henry, sorry. Oh, I met him once. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Oh. It was um, for, at the um, two... Uh, I mean, he said he liked the rugby chat, so that's what <laughs> um, It was at the... Uh, what was the last World Cup? 2015 World mm. Cup in, at the Millennium Stadium, All Blacks versus France. I was walking around the outside and uh, tiny chap. Mm. Oh, he was walking up to me and I swear to God... I jabbed him in the chest because I saw him coming and I missed. I wanted to point at him but I misjudged it and I just jabbed him in the chest and went Graham Henry and he went he was wearing a cap and he was clearly not wanting to be noticed and he went yep carry on <laughs> and, so, and just walked past I was, I was absolutely starstruck oh oh so I don't know but, yeah but anyway more yeah. rugby there mm. for you Fiona Skepper yeah hi Loved the podcast. Thanks. After a few months of binge listening, I finally caught up. I have a suggestion for a later mini-series. Almost monarchs, people who were destined to take the crown, but for various reasons, usually death, didn't. Hmm. Uh, so, possible categories, he suggests. Desirability or adorability. How much do people want them to be monarch? Okay, yeah. Capability. Did they demonstrate they could handle the top job? Hmm. Memorability. What impact did they leave? And predictability, what might they have been like? Do you know who I think would win? Who? Matilda. Mm. Can't think of another one. Black Prince. Uh, yeah, okay. 
<laughs> P.S. Has Ali seen the line in winter yet? No, no, I do. No, I nearly <laughs> had a confusion then because I thought you were going to talk about what's the one? The King. Yes, on Netflix. Yeah, but I haven't. Neither. I haven't seen yeah. neither. <laughs> yeah, neither film. Yeah. Uh, now, Teresa Giacino, uh has been inspired by Rex Factor to do her own podcast. Oh, yeah. And she's doing one rating all of the gods, which she's breaking up by Pantheon. So each series will be on, for instance, the Greeks, Egyptians, oh, nice. etc. Um, so she called it Last God Standing. Mm. So if people like uh, to check that out. She does warn that there's a bit more adult in language and topics than Rex Factor. Yeah. So and parental guidance. I mean, presumably blasphemous... <laughs> each different series to a different load of people. Uh, that, I'm all right with that. Um, You're probably on fairly safe ground with the ancient Greeks. Yeah, gods and yeah. Uh, Chris and Jenny Buckley. Hi, guys. Hi. Me and Dr. Buckley, quoted by your good selves at the end of one of the series two episodes, would like to announce our dynasty score. Baby Naz, born on Thursday. I literally shouted... Dynasty <laughs> in the delivery room very oh, shortly after he popped legend. out and thought you might like to know. Oh, what's the baby's name? Naz. Cool name. Like uh, Prince Nazim really? Mohammed. <laughs> uh, love, love boxing. Um, who's that? Who's Dr. Buckles? Yeah, Dr. Buckley. Chris and Jenny Buckley. Okay. Were they the people that we thought were children? Oh, I can't remember. Unlikely I don't think if so. they're doctors. Oh, yeah, I don't think I don't think it was them. Mm. Well, apologies all around again. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, on the subject of babies, Karen Fegan. Did Ali write on the bottom of Bonnie's foot? Just listen to the Georgiana special episode where he revealed he did that with Rue. Really? That's quite late to reveal that. Yeah, so apparently you wrote, little, did a little mark on his foot. Didn't do a, a little mark. So that you knew it was him in case... I took, I took a, a Sharpie with me and I was going to just do a little mark... Just be a sharpie is a uh, permanent marker, not a knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and I did. I put a little dot on the, the the heel of his foot, and I thought, well, that's no good. So then I wrote in in not, I mean, quite quite small letters, mm. tiny little foot, but right across the bottom of his feet, hood. <laughs> uh, I just didn't want him to. I didn't. I wanted that one. Yeah. Um, but no, I completely forgot this time around. It's amazing how much laser, more laser therapy. <laughs> so, uh, a few months ago, we did a vote um, yeah. to decide who is going to be the next subject of Rex Factor, the animated show. Yes. So months ago? It was months ago, yeah. Was it really? Yeah. Lots happened. A lot has happened, indeed. Uh, so, we had four options for people to choose between. Mary, Queen of Scots. Would have been good. Finalist in the uh, second series of Scotland. Elizabeth I. Would have been good. Finalist in the first series of England. Queen Anne. She of the favourite fame recently. Need to see that. Olivia Coleman. Mm. And uh, Victoria, your personal favourite, I'm sure. Mm. In fourth place, mm. with 12% of the vote. Yeah. Sorry, Ali. It's Victoria. Oh, God. You, I, <laughs> I thought you... Yeah, okay. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well... 12% of you are certifiable. <laughs> In third place, with 18% of the vote, mm. it's Queen Anne. Oh. However, the mm. final two is between Elizabeth I and Mary Queen of Scots. I'm happy with either of these, I think, to be honest. I have a favourite, but... Elizabeth I got 35% of the vote. Chunky. Mary My mouth isn't quick enough. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, Queen of Scots, yeah. got 35% of the votes. What? They got the same vote percentage, but they didn't get the same number of votes. There was only one vote in it. No way. Genuinely came down to one vote. So as a percentage, that's yeah. less than a half. Gosh. One vote came down to one vote, and the winner I hope it's mine was Elizabeth the first what oh yes, right <laughs> yes, sorry, <laughs> I was so thinking about Victoria and Anne, I completely forgot about her I Victoria thought, it must be I thought it was about Elizabeth the second for a minute, good, <laughs> good, that is great news, and I did vote for her there you go well, indeed, your vote oh. made a difference, 
and I just blew the whistle on myself. Then. Yeah. So you could have just asked me, who did I want to yeah. do it? And yeah. it was <laughs> <laughs> oh, democracy, such a waste of time. <laughs> Next time, it's the much-anticipated Emma of Normandy. Okay, so I should arrive a lot earlier. Arrive early for that one. I think it's fair to say we have got more information on her than we had on Eldgith. But you'll have to find out next time. Okay. Cheerio! (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Avantika Chilkoti host of The Modi Raj, a new podcast from The Economist. Narendra Modi has watched over a period of rapid growth in India, but he's also the front man for a chauvinistic Hindu nationalism. Now, he's eyeing another term as Prime Minister. What will it mean for India and the world? I've been trying to get inside his head. Listen now to The Modi Raj from The Economist, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now.